Welcome to the Franchise You Podcast, where key industry leaders provide education and inspiration. Here's your host, Dr. Kathy Gosser, the Director of the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. Hello there. So in this episode, I have the honor of introducing to all of you, Lauren Coulter. And Lauren and her husband, Chad, are the owners of Biscuit Belly. Lauren is also the Director of Franchise Sales and Development for the company. And Lauren has had a very interesting career. I'll tell you a little bit about it, but then we really want to hear from her. So Lauren and her husband started as pharmacist in college. Yes, pharmacist. Then as they were working, they, I believe, are serial entrepreneurs at heart. So they had a side hustle called Uptown Art, and it was a paint and drink wine place where people get together and just enjoy themselves. They love that. So then they started another restaurant brand here in Louisville, Kentucky called Levino that's been very popular and very successful with several locations. They sold that. And now they have actually started up a concept called Biscuit Belly. And Biscuit Belly, which is a great name, by the way, it's a brunch destination, not really a brunch spot, but it's a place that you know you're going to have a good time and eat great food. So first, though, Lauren, I'd like to hear from you. So tell us a little bit about this very interesting personal journey from pharmacist to entrepreneur to franchisor. Yeah, good question. And thanks so much for having me on. I'm really excited to chat with you today and, you know, kind of get to share our story. So, you know, yeah, Biscuit Belly has been, this has been an evolution for sure. My husband and I, as you mentioned, are both pharmacists by training. And when we graduated, we moved to Louisville and, you know, we were working a 40 hour week, but compared to going to school and working and rotational work and having homework and you know everything that you're doing in a pharmacy program it just didn't feel like we were doing very much and so we decided to open up town art as you mentioned which was kind of our foray into small business ownership we well my husband was really mega into this and kind of he brought me along he really wanted to own his own business we talked to you know, three or four different concepts. And ultimately I was visiting a friend in Alabama who they had one of these paint and drink places. And we go, we had the best, the best time brought home a painting that wasn't terrible. <laughs> and Chad was oddly enough, he had taken students on a study abroad in Australia. And so literally he's in Australia and I'm texting him saying, okay, I have found it. This is what we're doing. And I believe that was in something like February of 2011. And we opened in July of 2011. I mean, everything just happened very quickly and seamlessly, but Uptown Art was great. It was, it started as a franchise and then they pivoted and went to more of a license arrangement. Mm-hmm. So I learned a lot during that time about the differences in the two and kind of the expectation as a franchisee versus expectation of a franchisor. And uh, it did really well. I mean, everyone in Louisville had had to have a Fleur de Lis painting, but I, oh, I do. You do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it just did really well. It was the first concept like that here. Mm-hmm. So it was a hit. It was, I think, to the first thing where I really realized the importance of having an experience. We recognized it, though, to be a fad. 
And after two years or so, we thought, okay, we should probably start figuring out what is our exit strategy? What does that look like? And decided to list it, ultimately found a buyer, sold it around year three, the Mm three-year mark. But during that time, we're trying to figure out, okay, you know, we're going to, for the first time, have this kind of bundle of cash that we've never had before like this. Um, What are we going to do with it? So we had been talking about how Louisville is so big into bourbon, big into some craft beer was developing then, but really saw a place in, you know, the market, a need, if you will, for having a very approachable wine bar a wine restaurant. And the purpose of Louvino was really to give kind of that lower price point as an option. We would sell really high-end wines by the glass. And um, we ultimately had 60 to 70 wines consistently that we would sell by the glass, which is pretty novel in that space. Totally. Yeah. It did well. We grew it ultimately to five locations, two in Louisville, two in Indianapolis area, and one in Cincinnati. And somewhere along the way, as he does, my husband was saying to me, we should open up this biscuit concept. And I'm like, we're from Georgia. Nobody here is going to like these biscuits. You're crazy. But then we started seeing biscuit love, biscuit head. And I know Chad and our chef at Movino, Tavis, flew down one day and it was a rainy Tuesday and biscuit love had a line like out their door. So we opened up our first biscuit belly. Technically, it was between our fourth and fifth Luvinos being opened. And so here we are, like knowing the full service dinner model and then move into this fast casual breakfast space. Mm-hmm. And I think really quickly, we started having those same experiences that we would see at other places. You know, the line out the door around the block on the weekends, it was just crazy. I think the difference too is that it was a lot of fun and some of the maybe things that are considered pain points in the nightlife restaurant industry, we weren't having to experience in the breakfast space. Mm -hmm. So we opened up a second location. Again, it was doing well. And that's when we really started realizing, you know, we have something special on our hands. It doesn't take as much to open one of these as it did one of our Luvino locations. Um, We can get in for much lower and ultimately make our money back quicker. So um, really started evaluating how do we want to grow and franchising was the best option for us at that point in time. So went down the path and quickly also realized that for us to be able to do this 110%, we had to be solely focused on it. So we decided to exit Lumino and sell it. We'll always have a special place in my heart. So we sold that December, 2020. So now, you know, all in on the franchise space, (laughs) uh, specifically for Biscuit Belly. And yeah, we'll see kind of where this all takes us. Biscuit Belly, every time I've driven by or tried to go, the line is just, you're right, totally, (laughs) totally out the door, down the block, no matter what the weather's like. And so when you look at your menu, I'm really fascinated with how you came up with some of these items, like the pancake corn dogs, or you've named these biscuit sandwiches, the Rockwell, the the biscuit Mm -hmm. brisket, fire in Mm -hmm. your belly. Can you talk a little bit about how you even came up with recipes? Sure. It is 
one of the more fun parts, but it's also incredibly challenging. I think initially we went down this path of just, okay, let's kind of write down all these biscuits that we would be interested in. And I mean, there are still things on our menu that are straight from that original like OG menu. Um, the goat, for instance, goat cheese and pepper jelly. The Rockwell and Rockwell Supreme, which is named in honor of Tavis, the chef who helped develop this menu for us and who is our head chef at Luvino. And he's still the head chef at Luvino. Menu design learning is not, I don't know if it's ever 100% done. We spent the first, you know, we opened in May of 2019, really looking at what items sell, what items don't, and doing what is termed menu optimization. Mm -hmm. And so really figuring out what makes the most sense for us to have, quote unquote, in our pantry. We're still refining that a bit. We have recently opened our fourth site, and that is in Evansville, and it has a drive-through model. So we are having to evaluate, you know, these, a smaller set of tops, you know, to go. Some biscuits that maybe can be made incredibly quickly. So traditional grab and go that are appealing to people that are ordering through a drive-through and that want to be able to hold the biscuit <laughs> while they're in the car, which you really can't do to any of our full menu service biscuits. I think the other thing that we learned a lot about was the actual biscuit, like Mm-hmm. The bread. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it takes a really unique biscuit. Um, the thing that my brain goes to from growing up is a red lobster, those cheddar biscuits. Yeah. You know, they're so delicious, yes. but they're flaky and they're, you know, buttery and they're very light. But then you have some biscuits like out of Pillsbury can, you know, that might be a little more dense. It was really kind of difficult to come up with the biscuit that could both stand alone, but then also hold together, you know, a piece of fried chicken and, uh, you know, some fried green tomatoes and some pimento cheese all on it. So that was definitely a learning curve. And I think we worked through that. I had the hard job of tasting, I don't know, 25 iterations of (laughs) a biscuit. (laughs) So, but it was really fun. And we learned a lot. Um, You know, people are picky about things. They're picky about their biscuits. They're picky about their uh, gravy. And so we wanted that we, we like to kind of educate them that this might not taste like your grandma's biscuit, but there's a reason behind that. There's a purpose, you know, and for what we're doing, it is, it's so good. It's so delicious. It, um, yes, definitely. And gosh, I know probably the listeners are getting hungry right now, just as, yeah. just as I am. Hopefully. <laughs> you talked a lot about what's unique about Biscuit Belly and you're right. So many restaurants have to do menu optimization and mm-hmm. constantly change and evolve. Um, but you've started pretty early on the franchising trail, just mm-hmm. in two years, you already have your first franchisee. So mm-hmm. why does Biscuit Belly appeal to potential franchisees? I think that's a great question. We know that the success of Biscuit Belly long-term is going to be dependent on who these initial franchisees Mm -hmm. are that we bring in. We've done now four deals, all with very experienced franchisees, and we have 20 stores in development. Wow. Um, But I think that what we are bringing to the table with this group of franchisees is a new innovative concept the folks that we have on board, a lot of them are doing, you know, they're 20 or 30 
KFC unit owners, yeah. or maybe are in concepts that could be perceived as some as maybe dated or a little more uh, like legacy brands. Mm -hmm. And so I think it is exciting that they still see the need for innovation and are kind of doing that still through the franchise model. Um, I think that we really offer just a fun concept with a couple of things that I think our value proposition brings is we're in the breakfast and brunch space. So we are done at two or at three o'clock. Mm. People, you know, our front of house, our back house, they're usually out 30 minutes to an hour on the weekends after we close. And so we employ moms who like to drop off their kids and then come to work and then pick up their kid from school. I mean, that's pretty special in the restaurant space. We're not dealing with a lot of the, you know, nightlife, maybe hullabaloo, but yeah. <laughs> you here at other places. And also I think that it just takes a special type of human to want to wake up and deal with people at 7.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And so when, that's, <laughs> when we know that that is who we are and what our brand is, we're attracting and also repelling the types of people that we want to attract and repel. So I think that that's really special. There's not really other breakfast focused concepts that are in the franchise space. You know, First Watch, I think they were franchising and they've stopped. Mm -hmm. uh, Maple Street Biscuit is now owned by Cracker Barrel. So there is no expanding for them. And so I, I think that we've seen some of these other concepts have really helped prove that there is a space for our concept, but we're unique in that we are even franchising. Um, and then, you know, obviously just the breakfast front faces. I can see that. And, you know, <laughs> that's probably one of the reasons, because you didn't decide to franchise Lavino, but you mm -hmm. decided to franchise Biscuit Belly. Mm -hmm. And so I think you probably have answered some of the reasons yeah. why, but was there anything else why you decided not to do Lavino? That was a very intense, well, it, it costs a lot more to open. Additionally, from a training perspective, you know, training on 60 or 70 wines is very time intensive. Mm -hmm. And so our, you know, we had a gentleman who primarily did that and he spent a lot of time with people, um, a lot of intense training with them. The good thing was we always seemed to find these great people who would stick with us. So we didn't have this like revolving door of needing to train people, but it was still incredibly intense. Mm -hmm. And you're dealing with maybe a client or a customer who is, I would say, like bougie and upscale. And, you know, there's pros and cons to that for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can definitely understand that. And there is something about that finishing at two o'clock in the restaurant business, the labor market we have right now, it's yeah. even, I would think even better, definitely more appealing. So one yep. of the other things I've read is that you're looking for partners that are genuine members of their community. Why is that important? First and foremost, Chad and I kind of at our core, you know, who we are, I ran a small nonprofit here for three years that taught kids about entrepreneurship. And that's, just really important to me. I think that I'm glad and appreciative of a lot of work that people do in the community to help kids maybe go to college or you know get those secondary degrees. But I think that for a lot of people, that's just not either feasible or it just doesn't make sense for them and for what they want. And so I like the idea of 
of exposing people to some alternatives that could be good for them. Um, entrepreneurship, while it's terrifying yeah. <laughs> on one end, it can also be very rewarding. I love that some schools have even adapted, like Yovel, like this entrepreneurship program that they have, or um, you know, realizing that it isn't in the works for everybody to be an accountant or a lawyer oh. or a pharmacist, that if we want to stay relevant, we have to change. When we have been looking for franchisees, we do really look at who is involved and engaged in their community. Mm-hmm. And because we know that those people, you know, they're not talkers, they're doers. Right. And that will also help us on the franchise side. We don't want people who are just signing deals for the sake of signing a deal. We want them to be doers and, and going for, you know, making things happen here. And I think that that personality is evidenced in multiple ways. So that makes a lot of sense. So let's go down that road just a little bit more. When you think about what you're looking for in franchisees, so you talked about the community aspect, you really want people with some experience. Are there other attributes Mm -hmm. that are important to you for potential franchisees? You know, franchising in general, I hear a lot about, you know, uh, people saying, you know, that it's this push-pull, this love-hate relationship between the franchisor and the franchisee. And one of the best, our partner, Chuck, is has been adamant from the get-go. He has told us, um, you know, people will be willing to write you checks. Do not take them. We're not doing business with a-holes, pretty much, is what he says. I think that that's a great mantra. Everyone that we've brought on board are people that I can go and have a sweet tea or a beer with, or that I can, you know, go pal around with for a little bit. And I think that that's so important because we do have these lines, right? I mean, we have a contract, we have a franchise agreement with these folks that really details, here's my responsibilities and here's your responsibilities. And so I think where that line gets blurry can be difficult Um, especially as an emerging person, I want to make everybody happy. But I also have to realize that we're setting up our our self for some successes here and we can take all this good information in from them. Still, what we say is kind of what has to happen. So um, I think people who can follow a brand, follow a recipe and who are very comfortable in the franchise space, I think that's important. Um, We learned this lesson firsthand when we first opened our first Biscabilly, we saw it as a way that we could maybe promote some of our chefs from Luvino. So we were pulling in a couple people and giving them head cook roles or head chef roles at the store level for Biscuit Belly. And like one day I walked in and we sell one jam. I walk in and there's 20 jams. Oh my gosh. And he's like, oh, I just wanted to do, 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 do. And so really quickly we learned, okay, this creative piece Unfortunately, there just isn't a place for that. And so people who are willing to, you know, follow the recipe, follow the protocol, follow the process, it is proven. We have proved it. What I'm excited about is leveraging all these people's industry experience. Um, Even just here in Louisville, I mean, there's such a rich history of franchising. And I think that that is so special. And so leveraging their, that knowledge base to help guide us as we make choices and improve processes is key. But, um, and so for us at this juncture, getting people in who are also cool with being guinea pigs, cool with giving us feedback 
I was on a weekly touch base with one of our, with our first franchise group this week. And uh, I was asking their opinion on something. I was like, okay, thanks franchise advisory council. I appreciate, I appreciate your, your help, you know? <laughs> and, and they just thought that was funny. They're like, yeah, you know, they really are that for us right now. So people who are willing to provide that feedback is, is really helpful. You know, you said something very important that I always teach the students in franchising. And that is that you are an entrepreneur as a franchisee, but you got to follow the model. You got to follow the business model mm -hmm. and the recipes. And I have to smile mm -hmm. at the 20 jams because it um, brings back a lot of memories of different <laughs> things I've seen in the past. Yes. But your franchisee mm -hmm. or your franchise advisory council has a lot of experience and they have just broken ground mm -hmm. in Lexington. Congratulations on that, um, for sure. Thank so, you. We're excited. I, oh, I can only imagine. I'll have to go. I'll definitely, we'll have to go see that. So let me ask you, what were some of your first steps in becoming a franchisor? What did you actually have to do to launch? Oh, my gosh. So it's this is a good question. And something that I think is good about Chad and I is that we both want to have our stuff together before we rip the Band-Aid off pretty much anything. Yeah. I've now met a lot of people who kind of evolved into franchising, um, who maybe even like set up license arrangements with people early on and then try to evolve into the franchise model. We spent a lot of time just doing legal documents. It's crazy how much time and energy and money, you know, that we spent, it, I guess it's not crazy. It's all there to protect all parties, but it was still a lot of work, a website marketing, getting all those creative pieces together. And then, you know, creating a system where if somebody calls me today, who's interested, I can walk them through this whole process. And we have really firmed up how we bring people in, what our discovery day process is like. But I would say the money and the time and energy that we spent prior to opening, you know, it's it was a solid eight to 10 months of like heads down, this is all that we're focusing on of work. And so that's a lot. <laughs> and, um, but, it, but it also set us up to be very put together. Mm -hmm. And every group that we have had in, has remarked that to be so small that we are so well put together and that we have done a really good job of planning for the next step. And so my goal was really always stay 90 days ahead of whatever point we're at. And so, you know, right now, even though they just started construction, our teams are already formulating, okay, once they're open, what does the cadence of coaching look like? What is the cadence of being a part of coming into the store? Um, what does that look like? We have also had the luxury of recently opening a corporate store. And we've really tried to treat that like a franchise mm -hmm. store. We had developed these training programs and we use that as a way to validate them. And so, you know, obviously learn some things and no doubt as we open up our next couple stores, I can see our process being refined even further. But, you know, I think staying ahead of the game has really been key to us. Something that we've prioritized also is people. And we've decided to bring on a couple people, you know, full-time marketing person, a full-time controller just in the last month, because we know that some of these pieces are really going to be key in, again, us 
not just looking like it, but having it all together. We know that the best growth strategy for an early stage franchisor is to have successful initial franchisees. Mm -hmm. All it takes is these folks to call two of their friends, three of their friends who are also in all of these legacy systems and say, I just had the best experience. It was great. Uh, You should do this. And um, so I think that's what we're really now hunkered down focused on is providing that really elevated, great franchise or experience, despite the fact that we are so young. Yeah, because you are definitely off to a good start, as I said, with your first franchisees, as well as one of the things that's unique is when you go to your website, you've included a lot of the things you would find in your FDD, like the cost of labor, sales, average check, all, all this information to become a franchisee. Why did you decide to post this so predominantly on your website? Well, I think that in this day and age, people are hungry for information and we have to give it to them. I just think when somebody is interested, we want to give them as much information as possible to do one of two things, either further attract them or repel them. With everything else going on, I don't want to spend my time answering questions that could just be out there. When we first started we were getting a lot of interest, but it was a lot of churn, like people Mm -hmm. who really, they're not going to open a restaurant, you know, but at the time I was so eager to just have those conversations, you know, jumping in on any interest point. And I quickly learned, okay, you're having a lot of conversations, but they're not going anywhere. And so providing a lot of this information upfront decreases those just kind of pointless calls. Mm -hmm. And Really, I, I think that we've done a good job to just creatively showing showing our food, displaying our food. Yeah. And so once we also have in there, you know, the importance of what we're looking for in a franchisee, being involved in the community, just being very transparent. I think that our site does a good job of showing the values that we have in our mm-hmm. company culture. And we want that to be in every franchise store. We know that it's hard to keep that consistent. The culture piece especially is so hard, I think, to translate. Um, Even just outside of, you know, we've developed this in Louisville and we've struggled maintaining the the same culture in Evansville. That's just two hours away. Mm -hmm. And so we've learned a lot about, okay, how do we do that? And then how does that translate to a franchisee that's four hours, five hours, and seven hours away? I love how you say attract and repel. I've never heard anyone (laughs) put it that way. When I was going through your website, I was so impressed with all that was out there. Mm -hmm. And I think that to your point, you will do that. You'll either those people who seriously aren't interested won't take your time. And those who are, will jump, will jump up. Well, let me ask you though. So what are your expansion plans? Like where do you hope to be five or 10 years? That's a great question. We do the EOS traction model. One of the things that you have to do is set a goal and it's supposed to be the big, hairy, audacious goal. And, you know, my husband's kind of he's the visionary in our group. And, you know, we obviously, we have a revenue number, but biscuit domination, I think is what he said. <laughs> I love that. So he wants it to be a national brand for sure. One thing that we've learned through all of this is everything takes time. Obviously we've been in this climate of, um, you know, supply chain chaos and everything seeming to take more time than it quote unquote should. But I I love that we all want to grow, but back to giving 
our franchisees who've come on board this ultimate experience is priority one. Our goal was to have three to five deals, each doing three to five stores in development by the end of this year. So we've accomplished that goal um, with 20 in development with four deals. I'd love to, you know, have one more, but we're really excited about that. And then really from a tangible number to double that number year over year. Wow. So a lot of what we do, I think I underestimated the sales cycle when we're looking for people who can, who can do four or five stores, it takes time. So a lot of it is just relationship managing and making sure they are comfortable with us and we are comfortable with them. Um, This is not a small investment and I don't take it lightly. And so we are not in the the game of just like push, push, push. You know, we want these people to be pushing us almost super excited to be coming in. And so, um, you know, who knows, 10 years, gosh, I think I would say a total of 200 stores either open or in development. I, I recognize that not 200 will likely be open, but I think we could have that in development for sure. Yeah, I, I don't see why not with your plan. feels like I could talk to you forever. This is so fascinating. But let me ask, are there any franchise organizations that served as a role model for you on this journey? So a couple of things. I definitely follow psychotically stalk um, <laughs> companies like Clean Juice. They have a very similar starting point and kind of growth that I feel like we have seen. And they have great leadership. When I look at them, I think, oh, they're doing all the right things. Franchising, like anything else, is a small community. And yes, so I've been lucky enough to be connected with a lot of people who are it early stage franchisors as well. There's a a restaurant group out of North Carolina that we have really gotten to be tight with their CEO and some of their team called Shuck and Shack. And they've got, you know, 16 to 20 stores, I believe. They're taking a different process than we are in terms of who they're looking for, who they're targeting as a franchisee. But uh, they've just been amazing to help answer questions. And then the other thing that I've learned is A lot of the people here in Louisville, especially who have been with these companies like Papa John's, like KFC, where these legacy brands, they've been around quote unquote forever, but I've met a lot of really cool Papa John's folks who loved, loved, loved that kind of first five, 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. They literally had one of them tell me, this is the most fun you're ever going to have in your entire life. And it kind of brought some perspective to me about what I call the daily grind is pretty freaking cool, you know? And so that's special. And, and just being in this community again, one day I was flipping out about territories. How do I put a territory in a contract? I don't even know what to do. Do I pull up Google map? Like, what do I do? And he said, let me phone with the guy who's done who leads, you know, the territory stuff for Papa John's for 25 years. I mean, that's amazing to have that resource just so readily available and you know the blessing and curse for those folks is you know some of those companies have left Louisville Papa John's moved their headquarters we have all this great talent here so it's been cool that I can almost use these folks as a consultant and I don't have to spend big dollars on a salary when I can poke them with questions for an hour, sometimes just over breakfast. Like a lot of these people, they don't want to be paid. They just love kind of talking about this stuff. And um, so that's been a pretty cool experience to me. 
we have been able to bring on a couple people who are, you know, at first serving in kind of consultant or hourly roles that are now transitioning to more full-time things with us. Um, a guy who is leading our development development team has many years at Papa John's, many years at KFC. So he also knows a number of the franchisees that we brought on. Like he knows them, you know, he's done their, their yeah. development, other companies too. And so having kind of that knowledge base has yeah. been amazing. And I annoy him to death. I know that. Help me with this. What do you think about this? Da, 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 da. Uh, but but I've, I've learned that they really dig being early as well, like getting into this yeah. early. And then they can help us shape what this looks like going forward and take kind of the things they've learned that didn't work out well or things they learned that did work out well and help us make better decisions, I think, earlier on. I think what um, I've heard you say is so true. The franchising world is really about relationships and people helping others. We want everyone to succeed. And so I love hearing that. So my last question for you is, and even though you've just started franchising in the last couple of years, or you just started the journey, what do you wish you had known that you know today? What do you wish you had known even when you first started? That's a great question. I think that I overestimated the the sales cycle, but specifically just how long it would take for us to really get the word out about us. I think that in Louisville, we have such a cool culture here of loads of new restaurant concepts opening and access to all these great chefs. So when you are new, you are legit like the hottest thing on the block. <laughs> and if you're not ready to go from the beginning, you kind of get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that it would be very similar in the franchise space. I think what I didn't realize is just how many freaking franchises there are yeah. out there. Yeah. And, um, you know, even just in the restaurant space, so many that people can choose from as they're looking. Mm-hmm. So I've entertained a number of leads who are in the throes of opening their concept, but they come to me as one of 10 maybe that they're looking at. And so it ultimately just ends up being what is the best you know, culture fit between the two and obviously finances, what sort of capital they have in place and, and what they don't. I think that's been the biggest eye opener mm-hmm. is I kind of thought all oh, these people will be coming to me and it didn't work out quite that way. But also we set realistic enough goals that I don't feel like I'm disappointed. You know, it's overwhelming to think that some of the relationships that I'm building now, I will not have anything come to tangible fruition until late 2022. It does take time when you're, especially when you're testing what you're talking about. Yes. Lauren, it's going to be fun to watch you grow, Um, fun to eat at Biscuit Belly. And I can't thank you enough for joining us on um, on this podcast to franchise you today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Franchise You is brought to you by the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. For more information on the center, visit business.louisville.edu slash yumcgfe. Thank you for listening to Franchise You.